Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, I have with us Katherine Jackson. She's the Vice President of Accounting for Bear Properties, a full-service commercial real estate development firm based out of Birmingham, Alabama. In her 20 years in the real estate industry, she's participated in the development of seven centers, totaling over 8 million square feet, the purchase and sale of 15 assets in excess of 9 million square feet, and ensuring client satisfaction for the accounting services provided to assets under management. The current portfolio is approximately 10 million square feet of office, retail, and mixed-use space. She's a member of the Forbes Finance Council, and articles she's written concerning the real estate industry can be located on the Forbes platform. In her free time, Catherine likes to spend time with family and friends, hike with her dogs, and boat on the local lakes. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Today, we'll be talking about your experience as an accountant and specifically as a property accountant. We'll also be discussing your employer, Bear Properties, which is working on some really cool projects that are focused on creating real estate environments, which improve the quality of life within the communities in which they are built. So let's get started. Sounds great. First, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Well, I can tell you that uh, where I ended up is not where I started out. I think I was like a, a lot of teenagers where you're faced with that daunting task of trying to figure out what you want to do for a career. So hard at 18. <laughs> yeah, it is hard at 18 to know it. I originally pursued a degree in veterinary medicine, went to the University of Georgia, and it didn't take but about a, a year of classes to convince me emphatically that I did not want to do that for a living. And I was really attracted to the school of business. So talked with dad. Not everybody is lucky to have parents that with great insight, but uh, he has has been a font of wisdom. Sometimes I don't want to hear his wisdom, but but to give him credit, he usually has some good insights. And uh, he talked a little bit with me and, and he kind of shaped my trajectory toward accounting. In his words, he's, he said, kid, at your age, you don't really know what you want to do for a living. Your best bet is to plan for flexibility. Great advice. A job in management that you can't hold with an accounting degree, but there are a lot of accounting jobs that you can't get with any other business degree. So in essence, you know, get the degree that opens the most opportunities. And then classwork itself kind of led me to the area of being interested in industry, just wasn't as attracted to tax or audit. So that was my my target and my goal when I finished my degree. I got that first staff accounting job and had a really bad moment (laughs) because I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I spent all this time getting this degree and I don't like the work. And that kicked off a you know rather frantic job search for something that I might find more appealing. And uh, I stumbled across an opportunity with General Growth Properties as an on-site property accountant at one of their large enclosed malls. And at the time, General Growth was the second largest REIT in the country. I knew nothing about property accounting at that point in time, but I knew I didn't want to do what I was doing. 
So I took the job and within a month realized that I loved the work and I loved the industry and just found it fascinating. So feeling much better about life in general, I spent three years with GGP and then took a position with Bayer Properties, whose corporate office is based here in Birmingham, Alabama, which is where the majority of my family was from. And I've been with them for 17 years. It was it was a really good fit. I've been rising with ever higher positions of responsibility until I was promoted into my current role of vice president of accounting. And I'll be honest, I've let the real estate industry kind of consume my world. I just, I like it that much. I find it fascinating. You get to see, you know, all kinds of new opportunities and be involved in big projects and, you know, watch the return that folks are making on their investment in the real estate world and and see what the market is doing different. You know, it's just something fresh and new every day. Yeah, that's awesome. I say this all the time, but it's definitely one thing I love about an accounting degree is just how many different paths it can give you in life. It's a wonderful thing for people to study in college. Absolutely agree. Uh, You've got to wade past those first introductory courses so you get your head wrapped around how you have to think, and then you should be off to the races. Yeah, it's not for everyone. It's almost like a different language, and some people just get it, and some people don't. Absolutely. So are there any particular stories or moves that stand out throughout your career as what you would have considered turning points? I really think that, you know, one of the major turning points was getting that job with Bayer Properties. I mean, I just can't emphasize what what a great fit it was. And I wasn't looking for a job when I found it, to be honest. I enjoyed working for General Growth. I was helping a younger cousin look for a job. But that Bayer job description, I mean, it it read like it had been crafted specifically with me in mind. And I just thought, you know, I've got to go talk to these people at least and, and see what they have to say. And my first interview was a screening interview with Vice President of HR. She evidently liked what I had to say because suddenly my one interview turned into more than one interview and she got me in to see the CFO the same day. Wow. And evidently during the course of our discussion, I sealed the deal with the CFO without knowing that I was sealing it. She asked me how I had learned to perform camera reconciliations, which is one of the more complex areas of property accounting. It's based off of each tenant's unique lease language and you know, there's a lot of nuances to it. And I told her that I took part of an old spreadsheet, an arm full of leases, and I just figured it out. And little did I know that, you know, what she was looking for was someone who could figure out all the new things that were coming in without a lot of handholding. And after three months of working together, she was confident enough in my ability to offer me the position of director of property accounting and gave me management over APAR and all the property accountants. I would also mention, during that same time period, talking about turning points, right before she offered me that promotion, my previous employer came back to me with a job offer uh, for a different location and offered me about 15000 more than I was making with Bayer. At that point in my career, $15,000 was a pretty big chunk of change. I, of course, went back to dad, the purveyor of, of good, solid, common sense advice. And he said, you know, he enjoyed your old company, but you were occasionally frustrated by the rigid structure. And you've been really excited about this new company. 
money's not everything. If this feels like the right place, stick with it. The money will come if the company's as good as you think. So, you know, I pondered that a lot because prior to joining Bayer, I had worked at much larger organizations that had a lot of structure. And, you know, I'd sit at my desk and I'd see a problem and I'd think I knew what needed to be done to fix it and couldn't get anybody above me to authorize me to, to make any changes. It was just a frustration. I don't mean that as criticism of big organizations. You reach a certain size and they have to have more structure. But it just makes it harder for the voice of the individual to be heard. Bayer was still small enough that you know you had a much more intimate relationship between the owners and executives and the staff. I mean, I literally could walk two doors down to the owner's corner office and have a conversation about something if I felt passionately about it. So I thought about that and stayed with Bayer. And I've been with them, like I said, for 17 years. Started out a lot smaller when I first joined them and has grown like crazy over the years. And I will say one thing about growth is that it is never boring. You know, you have to reinvent yourself along the way as if what worked at one size doesn't work at the next size as the dynamics of the organization change. It sounds like your dad needs to write a book on life advice. I mean, <laughs> he gives out some great advice. He he does give out some great advice. He can be a pain in the neck. Maybe. He's a really smart pain in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, you, you're welcome to record that and share that with him. I love it. <laughs> So tell us about Bear Properties, what they do, their history, their mission, et cetera. Yeah. So Bayer actually started as a, a real estate development company by Jeffrey Bayer here in Birmingham back in the 1980s. And as the founder, he started growing the organization and was lucky enough to find two excellent partners that had strengths that really complemented his. And the three of them together, you know, just gradually evolved the con- concept over the years you know, creating new opportunities, finding new opportunities. It was just a very, very organic process. In current day, we are growing in three separate ways. And this is part of my spiel that I give to folks that I'm hiring. We build them from the ground up. You know, we're still in the development process. So you can be involved in an actual construction building of shopping centers and office mixed-use centers. We are also pursuing joint venture opportunities with some of our clients or previous clients in the industry, where we go out and locate an asset that we think we can add value to, and then we will purchase it and do the, the legwork necessary to you know, improve it and turn around and make a return on that investment. And then the final leg of growth is just true third-party work, uh, where we do the leasing and managing for assets for, for different ownership groups. And it means you know there's something new in the pipeline all the time. The accountants get to work on all different kinds of assets. You get to see a full business cycle of how to improve the NOI and maximize the owner's return. Portfolio size fluctuates. Um, That's driven a lot by, you know, when we sell the assets, you know, we're working on improving them and and generating the desired return. So there's, there's a constant fluctuation, but you also get, you know, as part of your learning experience, you get to participate in buying and selling these huge assets. And I think, you know, the company's underpinning or mission statements, really simple and straightforward. It's creating places people love. And Bayer just learned that years ago that if you focus on the needs of your local community 
and the tenant mix and the needs of the tenant in your shopping center, the ROI pretty much takes care of itself. Yeah, just like your dad said. It, it will come. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you said this before, but it's so nice to be at a company that's growing because you get to grow too. And I don't think there's anything worse than being stuck in a stagnant environment. I would agree completely. And, you know, finding something that you're passionate about makes all the difference in the world, Megan. When you, when you go to work and you're excited about what you're doing. So you know, true. Makes it so pleasant. So tell us specifically about some of Bear Properties' most recent projects. Sure. The two most recent development projects that we completed were the renovation of the Pazitz in downtown Birmingham and a ground-up mixed-use development in Lexington, Kentucky called the Summit at Fritz Farms. Both of those were really fascinating projects, had really unique challenges, you know, for each of them. The Pazitz was a especially interesting to our group simply because that was a long-term goal of our owners. You know, that was an iconic building from their youth. It used to be a big deal in downtown Birmingham to go to the Pazitz building and see the Christmas displays. And that was a, a, a standard holiday activity that everybody did. And so the, the you know, the real estate had had run down and stood empty for years and, and the guys really wanted to revitalize and repurpose that real estate. And so we renovated the building, got six floors of apartments, 14 stall food hall with Warby Parker on the on the ground floor. There's a co-working space that's you know the new trend in office space. And then in the subfloor is the first brick and mortar location of the Sidewalk Film Festival. And, you know, watching all of that come together is really fascinating. And I think that everything working on the project agreed. It was one of the most complicated ownership and financing structures we'd ever negotiated. It had multiple investors. It had HUD lending. It had historical tax credits and about eight different entities associated with it. You know, it was a great learning experience. A little headache to get it all straightened out, just to be honest. But it's phenomenal to watch something like that come together. Yeah, I think everything worthwhile is a headache at one point or another. True, true. The summit at Fritz Farms was a more traditional development for us, but it had its, you know, own unique challenges. We worked with a local multifamily developer and sold them the apartment portion of the development, and we retained the retail. And with a partner, we worked out the retail portion of it have a current project going that's another renovation in downtown Birmingham. You know, obviously we're very invested in the city that we're based in. We're in pre-development on the Hardwick building, which was, you know, an industrial warehouse that had been sitting empty. We're converting it into three floors of office and a ground floor of retail that's going to have an emphasis in food and beverage. It's uh, the Rotary Trail here in town. And we were able to secure some really great parking, which is not always the case in an urban development. It's coming along nicely. we got major milestones behind us as far as zoning and and financing. And, you know, our entire team is super excited about it. And it's always fun when you're doing something in your backyard because, you know, you can schedule tours. Our construction department will, you know, take the whole accounting department through the building that they're gutting and renovating and Talk us through 
what's happening, what's coming next, you know, next steps, what do we hope to achieve, you know, what's it going to look like at the end, you get to see the architectural renderings and stuff. I'd say Bayer has been exceptionally good about, you know, making sure that everybody that's working real hard on these projects gets to enjoy the grand openings and, and make trips to participate in the ones that are further away, you know, the ones in our backyard are easy to get to, but just make time for people to, to get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. A terrific way of showing appreciation for everybody's work. It keeps everybody feeling, you know, like it's a team effort to be successful. And, you know, just from my accounting department perspective, I've got a fairly young group and these trips are big grand adventures, which frankly, from a practical standpoint, helps with employee retention. Yeah. And as accountants, I, th- I feel like it's so, so important to understand operations and understand what it is your company's doing and does. And I love Absolutely. that they do that. Absolutely. We we try to get our property accountants an opportunity to be boots on the ground and walk the shopping center that they're working on and, and talk in person with the folks that are running it just because it makes such a difference in your understanding. Yeah, and it sounds like some really cool developments where people can live, work, entertain. I mean, that's definitely the wave of the future right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, and it's it's so much fun, Megan, to see them come out of the ground. Yeah, I'm sure. And yeah, just a revival of old historic buildings. It's got to be so cool. It is. You find u- unique opportunities and you also find some unique things buried in basements and stuff <laughs> <laughs> occasionally where you uh, unearth stuff. And, and we unearthed a massive clock in the Pazitz building that was no telling how old. So fun exploratory on the renovation projects. Just out of curiosity, what is Sidewalk Film Festival? I've never heard of that. The Sidewalk Film Festival is a, like it sounds, it is a a small, I guess they call them indie films. Uh You're in the wrong person about films here. I don't, (laughs) I don't watch much television movies. But it is, it's focused on, you know, the smaller operators that are producing these artistic films. And it, it gets a lot of recognition in our area for some, some great dramas and some of the art-based attempts at theater. Thank you. So what are some of the unique opportunities that you've found to be associated with being a property accountant? Oh, I, I think there are several great things about the job, and I think it's a great way to grow your career. You know, one of the major ones is is at the entry level. I mean, you know, a lot of entry-level jobs are, are very narrow. I have folks that come to me all the time that, you know, I worked on fixed assets. That's all I worked on. When you're a property accountant, your responsibility is broad as far as maintaining the books for the asset, and you're doing journal entries and balance sheet reconciliations and working in accounts receivable and payable and bank recs and fixed asset and straight line rent, not then closed, budgeting and forecasting. You know, it, it is a very broad, encompassing exposure. And it's a heck of a resume builder, just to be honest. You know, it doesn't take, my guys, but a couple of years to really have a resume worth, worth presenting. You also interact with a broad range of people that build a lot of communication skills and and business acumen. You know, it's not just dealing with your accountants. 
very early in the process. You're in meetings with owners and upper executives. You know, they got 20 years or more in the industry. And you can't help but learn from, from that kind of exposure. You know, you might not be contributing a ton to the meeting, but you're sitting there absorbing all this wisdom that's that's being presented. Of course, it's also pretty intimidating for that younger staff. And, uh, you know, you have to make some allowances for a green associate. Uh, we try to make sure that when they first are going to meetings, that their manager is going with them so that they can see somebody modeling the appropriate behavior and how to answer the, the questions the right way. And then when they start to get to the point where we're going to transition them into kind of being the accountant in the meeting, I'm not above having practice meetings <laughs> where I will <laughs> get everybody in a conference room and then I pretend to be the client or the executives that are going to be in the meeting and ask the questions that I think are going to come up and, you know, coach good answers and, and also coach how to handle it. If you don't have an answer, <laughs> just trying to get our folks ready so that, you know, they represent well in those meetings, all that broad exposure occasionally leads to an accountant finding that they really have a calling in a different area of the industry. You know, we have taken several of our accountants into the property management arena they have transitioned into being general managers. I've had a young lady that moved into lease administration in the legal department because she really enjoyed that. Uh, and we currently have a young man in the leasing department who's doing some great things about making deals happen for Bayer, who started life as a property accountant. You know, I think you mentioned earlier that that accounting degree is a super flexible base, and it's a running joke in the company that when somebody has an open position, they start looking at accounting first. <laughs> and it's a win for the company. I mean, you retain all of their knowledge. They already know the company and are bringing all of their accounting skills to bear while they're learning this new area. So the broad exposure theme continues with the clients you work with. You know, you may be working with huge clients that have big name recognition in the money markets today, or you may be working with small investment groups that are venture capital type setups. I mean, you know, it it is a opportunity to see other accounting departments and how things are set up and, and functioning without you having to change jobs. And makes for a great opportunity for us to kind of cherry pick best practices, frankly. And I'd say the probably the final thing I really like about property accounting is this a sense of ownership literally go walk the shopping center that you're helping to run. It's a very tangible connection to a concrete business entity rather than just streams of numbers. It may not help your accounting any to go walk on the roof of the shopping center or wander the back <laughs> the back hallways, but it sure is fun and interesting. <laughs> you know, I, I had a young associate tell me once about, you know, our flagship here in Birmingham. I said, I get just an, an extreme sense of satisfaction when I drive by that thinking. Now that's mine. I run that. And I make sure our people have the info they need. And, you know, someone else told me once they were working on a big development. They said, I went to see my parents this weekend and I told them I secured a $70 million loan and was helping to spend everything of it. <laughs> you know, lovely sense of belonging and being invested in the outcome. Yeah. I mean, talk about being able to take ownership in, in your work. That's really, really nice. Yeah, it does. And it, it, it you know, it sucks people in. 
I'm telling you, Maggie, come on, we'll get you a job. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that Bear is so open to people moving within the organization. I feel like some companies make that so hard to do and it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, agreed. And so what are the unique challenges that come along with property accounting? I'd say one of the biggest challenges in the industry is for the accountants is that they need to be a problem solver. There's a lot of good accountants in the world that are excellent at memorizing, applying rules, and following processes. And, you know, that will help you do a, a lot of jobs in our profession. It absolutely won't get you where you need to be in, in real estate industry. There's just so much diversity. A lot of what drives our daily business is the leases, which govern the revenue stream of the asset. There's a lot of variation and complexity in those documents. You know, a lot of variables in how different assets function. There's a lot of different requirements based on different ownership groups. Um, you know, some of these big investment groups have got, you know, a, a lot of hoops that need to be jumped through. Being able to think analytically about a problem is a big indicator of whether or not you're going to be successful in this industry. And I'd say one of the second challenges is, is the fact that you do work with such a very diverse team. You know, you interact daily with non-accountants in a lot of different fields, including construction and management and leasing. I've watched, you know, several of my staff beat their head against the wall trying to force non-accountants to think like accountants. And in my personal opinion, that only makes your head sore. <laughs> I find it much more productive and easier to get what I need by changing my approach to something that feels comfortable for them. So, you know, we, we coach on that. Yeah, problem solving and people skills. It's so important as, you know, processes become automated and I feel like accountants have to evolve as well and, and move up the value chain. Yeah, it is a mantra in our department. Don't just process, think about it. <laughs> yep. So you wrote an article for Forbes that discussed the lack of communication between the development team and the managers and accountants who will be running the asset once the construction phase was completed. And I feel like this can be applied to any situation where accounting operates in a silo, which it still does in a lot of organizations. So how do we improve communication and help our organization avoid costly mistakes? Well, I think that... One of the things that we can do is encourage that curiosity and participation in our younger staff. You know, accounting lends itself focusing on processes. You know, there's a lot of work that has to get done, and that's where we tend to focus all our attention. Uh, recognize the value of having accountants who understand the business and how the pieces fit together. Sometimes it's as simple as empowering the younger by helping them shift their view on how they fit in the organization. You know, I had a young man working for me once, who told me he was frustrated because he was never invited to any of the asset meetings. And I asked him, why are you waiting to be invited? I said, you're an agreed professional who's responsible for making sure those books are correctly presented. If you think attending that meeting would help you accomplish that, then pick up the phone and call the general manager and tell them, Dad, you would like to be added to the meeting. And that was an epiphany for him. I mean, he had a very valuable skill in that he could take coaching and go think about what you had said and then turn around and apply it correctly. And he took off like a rocket after we got his worldview adjusted. And he's now a vice president at another company here in town. You know, 
some of the coaching needs to be on how to break out of your silo in the correct way. I find that frequently when I insert myself into a process and show I can be a help and not a hindrance, then I get invited back. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's all about how you insert yourself in the process. If you it's done in a helpful manner, you know, that doesn't hinder what the other departments are trying to achieve, then it works. You know, if they perceive you as a roadblock, they will absolutely do everything they can to figure out how to not get you involved and avoid you. If you're perceived as a quote unquote safety net, that's going to help them get it right. They'll call on you all the time. That comes naturally to some people and some people need coached on it. I think that, you know, just for accounting standpoint, a lot of times we have introvert, introverted staff that, you know, occasionally need to be forced to get out of their comfort zone. That's not something they're going to willingly do on their own, but, you know, their growth, it's good for them and it's good for the company, but you got to spend the time explaining to them why it's good for them and good for the company, you know, and get their buy-in because without it, you don't, you need to benefit from the exercise. Yeah, that's some really great advice. Breaking down silos. I mean, prove that you can bring value. And like you said, you'll definitely be invited back. Yeah. My problem, Megan, was never getting invited. It was getting invited too much. <laughs> <laughs> so the last time you and I spoke, we talked about the importance of getting the right person for a job. And you gave me a specific example. So will you share that story with the audience and talk to us a bit about how we can make sure we're not just throwing people at work without regard for their strengths and weaknesses? Absolutely. The interaction you're referencing happened when we were building out the summit at Fritz Farms. Our CFO came to me one day and said, I hate to ask this, you know, but I've got to have 80% of one of your senior accountants and I need them next week. I've got to have some help with the summit at Fritz Farms. So I asked a few questions and making sure that I understood what type of work they were going to be doing and what specifically she needed. And then told her that she needed a young man who'd been making big strides in our department. He was the right fit. And the problem was she'd never worked with him. So she's, eh, I'm not sure about that. How about, and reference to a specific young lady that she had worked with that she liked a lot. And I told her, you know, that is absolutely the wrong person for what you need. She's really, really good, but she's an absolute perfectionist. You know, you're working on a new development and new developments change constantly. You know, you'll be flinging requests for information and changes at a high rate and you're going to need a fast return response. That's going to drive her anxiety through the roof because she won't have time to polish the way she needs to polish to, to feel good about what she's giving you. Or it will drive your frustration through the roof because you won't get it as fast as you need it. So I'm telling you, this guy's who you need doing this. And she's still looking skeptical at me. And I said, I'll tell you what, make you a deal. Try him for a couple of weeks. If the fit isn't good, you can come back to me and I'll figure out how to free myself up enough to give you the help that you're needing. So she agreed with that. And, you know, we made things happen. About a week later, she was zipping down the hallway between meetings and she stuck her head in my office to say, he's awesome. <laughs> and I, you know, think there were two important pieces to the puzzle there of putting the right body in the right task. First, your manager 
must get to know and understand how their people work. It means spending time talking to your folks about the likes and dislikes and assessing how they're working. You know, it's a time investment on your part as a manager to really get it, but it's going to optimize how you can assign your personnel. And the part two of it is that the folks above the manager have got to be willing to be guided by their insight. And that can be tough. You know, I've been on both sides of that issue before, Megan. And, you know, I've been the one trying to convince someone upstream that I'm right. And I've been the one upstream struggling to have faith that a junior manager's choice is the correct decision. And you don't get to a higher position without making good decisions. And you learn to rely on your own insights. It can be a real effort to let go of that control enough to let someone else guide the choices that are being made. You know, I give my CFO all the credit in the world for being willing to listen to me and at least try the path that I was recommending. A second issue I see is that people have a tendency to want to use their most experienced people anytime something new comes along that needs attention. The next problem gets the next most experienced person and so on. I find it more productive to try to seek to engage the least experienced staff I have that I feel like can achieve what's needed and try to keep my experienced people free enough to mentor. And for those instances where something truly tricky comes along that you're gonna have to have that high level of experience and ability. It helps to groom your lower level associates faster and it gives you a lot more flexibility on handling you know, incoming problems or opportunities. It does require more coaching, you know, the easiest fix is always to give it to someone who's experienced and needs minimal help. You know, I just don't always think that's the right decision for long-term department growth. Yeah, I love that story. And, and it sounds like Bear is really an amazing place to work, particularly for entry-level people uh, who get to see a lot of different things. Absolutely. They really will give you a, as much responsibility as you're willing to take, but the catch is that you are responsible for the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Those go hand in hand. You can have all the opportunity you want, but you are responsible for the outcome. <laughs> so what's keeping you up at night these days? Are there specific things you worry about and how are you going about easing those fears? So the one area that I think about frequently right now is how real estate is changing. You know, I think most people in the industry would agree that real estate was slowly evolving as online shopping, you know, became more of a thing and people spending patterns changed. COVID-19 poured gas on that small fire and, and just fanned it into a huge blaze. Yep. A lot of time reading industry articles and news stories about, you know, the impact of the pandemic on tenants and on the landlords and where people think the industry is going. Yeah, our, our organization in particular, Asset Reviews, which is a forum to concentrate our leadership team's focus on what's happening at the assets we manage. And we compile information and study trends and, and brainstorm for opportunities. And, you know, that's, that's a concrete piece of the puzzle for us. But, you know, the industry in general, in general is still a very dynamic picture with a lot of change. You know, you can read one article in, in the office market is dead. You know, do all the success with remote working during COVID and then turn around and read another article and, oh no, you know, they're espousing the idea that office might change a little, but it'll come back stronger than ever. Just hang on. You know, the wide diversity in opinion 
probably means that nobody knows exactly what's coming. I can tell you, just when you start looking at our concrete tangibles, we've had a lot of success finding interest in the office space we're creating at Hardwick. And, you know, we haven't had any problem with major vacancy at the with the office space for the assets that we manage. So, but you kind of combine those with what you're reading, trying to get a feel and, and to think and to forecast and plan ahead. And I would add that it is very comforting that I'm not working in a vacuum. You know, our, our leadership team has got some super smart folks in it with a lot of industry experience and they're all tracking industry trends and trying to understand the evolving landscape. I'm just trying to keep up so I can contribute to the conversation and have some insights into what kind of information might be needed from my team so that we can plan ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. Nobody knows where anything is going. <laughs> our, our crystal ball is a little defunct. It would be nice if it worked a little better. <laughs> so 2020 was maybe not, not such a good year in lots of different ways, but I do believe that some good came out of the pandemic as well. So what's one positive thing that came out of last year that you plan to carry into the future? Well, I think our organization learned, learned a lot about, you know, flexibility and how to ensure the work gets done from whatever location our people are at. My personal gain is really oddly specific for this. I do, you know, a fair amount of interviewing of young associates looking for that next great fit for our organization. And obviously during the pandemic, all those interviews were conducted via Zoom meeting over the internet. I discovered that young associates give a much better interview and allow you to see a lot more of who they are as a person when it's from their home. And if you think about it, it really makes sense. These folks usually do not have a lot of interview experience and it's intimidating coming into a big office setting and trying to sell yourself folks you don't know. It's rare that I have an interview where someone has a poise to be comfortable and that can translate into poor answers or a deer in the headlight look or, you know, a struggle to connect. But you put those same people in their home environment, which is safe, and you remove a lot of the nerves that may be preventing you from getting a good read on their personality. And that's huge for a hiring manager because you don't have to wonder if a poor response was a product of nerves. You know, I think we're probably going to be doing all of our interview screening going forward using Zoom. <laughs> Wow. I mean, that's the first time I'm hearing that insight, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, <laughs> and yeah, what a great thing to carry forward, allow people to interview always from their homes. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we have had a lot of, a lot of success with a lot of great people come in that way this year, this last year. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It does remove a lot of the unknowns for those candidates, which is, only contributing to their nerves. And, and so I, I like that. That's right. Very much so. So lastly, now that we're well into 2021, unbelievably, here we are almost in June. So what's one goal, either personal or professional, that you're hoping to achieve? I would think that my biggest goal for the year is combination, personal and professional. You know, as I mentioned earlier, that I've been writing articles on real estate accounting and management topics that are being published by Forbes and are being real well received in our industry. And Forbes has actually reached out to me via email to see if I'd be interested in writing a book. I already had a book outlined, to be honest. 
just because that's the way my brain works when I'm working on something. And I think that, you know, for this upcoming year, I'm, I'm going to explore options about writing about the industry and, and figuring out, you know, where, where can I add value, what I can contribute. That's awesome. And yeah, I just had a guest who he just finished a book for Forbes and he said, everybody should do it because it gives you a lot of insight into who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I can believe that. And you really are, are putting yourself out there. So, you know, you there's a lot of hesitancy on the front end about, am I going to get a good reaction to this? It's very personal. Yeah. Yeah. But, but definitely worth a try. So, um, yeah. If you do try it, I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> and you'll have to let us know how that goes. Absolutely. I will shoot you an email. <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Megan. It's been a wonderful opportunity. I've really enjoyed our discussion and getting to know you and hearing about your experience. It sounds like you work for a wonderful employer and have truly found a great fit as a property accountant. I would absolutely agree um, and encourage anybody that is not sure where they want to take their accounting degree to take a long look at real estate. It, it's, uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating industry. Yeah. And to all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed today's discussion as well. And I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a great week. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personif. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personif can do for you by visiting personif.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personif. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.